Amen. Get out your Bibles, if you would. Open them up to the book of James. If you do not have a Bible, we have one just like this in the back that we'd like you to be able to use or for you to have if you need one. So just slip up your hand and we have one of our host team people. We'll grab your Bible. They can tell you what page it's on. We've got one right over here, Jonathan. Yeah. So it's on page 1011. So 10 and 11 is where James begins. This is the third week in this series where we're slowly moving through this, this book of by this man, James, the half-brother of Jesus. And uh, what we've already understood from the book is that there are some themes that run throughout it. One of the themes is that joy comes in suffering, that joy uh, can be found in suffering. And we also saw that uh, wisdom comes from God. Real wisdom, the kind of wisdom we need, comes from God. So there's a, a few themes. And here we're going to be in verses 9, 10, and 11 this morning, just a few verses. And what we're going to see is a third theme picked up by James, and we'll see it five times throughout the passage, and it's the theme of poverty and wealth. And so I think, um, I think it applies to everybody. Everybody falls somewhere within that range of, of poor or rich. And so uh, we, we deal in this, this very real um, element in our lives of money. And it's, it's really important to think about it. You can look at money a couple of different ways. We can look at it negatively and what's going on in our economy. Raise your hand if you feel a little anxiety when you think about our economy and slip up your hand if you would, just okay, so some of you do. Uh, maybe because our United States total debt is somewhere in the neighborhood of $14 trillion. You might have heard that, which doing a little math, there, that means that every United States citizen is indebted because of the decisions of our government and others, $46,183.64 as of today. And so you might want to start saving to pay that off. So you might look at this issue of poverty and wealth and what's going on in our economy in a negative kind of light, or we can think of it more positively. Did you hear in the news this week that the International Energy Agency attempted to ease the global energy crisis by releasing 60 million barrels of crude oil. You know what that means? Gas is getting ready to get cheaper. And uh, anybody excited about that? Yeah, yeah, I am. I have my own Suburban and, and Avalanche truck and going downhill with the AC off, uh, if there's very little weight in it, it gets maybe each of them get 15 miles an hour to the gallon. And, um, and so that's a, that we can be encouraged by that, lower gas prices. I actually got an insider tip from somebody that's in our church that's really and all that kind of stuff. He called me this week and said, hey, Russell, do not fill up your gas tank until next week. And I said, okay. And uh, so anyway, he says it's going to save me 20 bucks. Well, this is good. Um, so, so when we think about uh, this issue of poverty and wealth, uh, it's really relevant for all of our lives. And, and, and it makes sense that the Bible would talk about it. There are things of dealing with money throughout the scriptures. And these verses, verses 9, 10, 11, are really relevant. And it actually comes right on the heels of James talking to these recipients who are struggling. Uh, most scholars believe they were struggling because of their faith in Christ made life harder for them. And so he's used this word trial, and he tells in the beginning that counted all joy when you experience trials of various kinds. And, and here's a trial for some of them. They're experiencing the stress of money. He identifies this very real trial for them. Here, here's what I want you to see this morning uh, in, in total. 
Money will not make you rich. Money will not make you rich. It's really beautiful the way he lays it out here. It's two very pithy kinds of verses. Uh, one of them is dealing with the poor, and the other one is dealing with the rich. So first of all, to the poor people. Shout out to the poor people. Here's what it says. Let's read together verses 9, 10, 11. Would you stand to your feet as we read God's word together? Here's what it says. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation. Because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flowers fall, its flowers falls, and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. So first of all, to the poor people, he says, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. What is a lowly brother? Well, it's a poor Christian. And they're poor, at least in part, because of their decision to follow Christ, place their faith in Jesus Christ. The, the context indicates that their lives were being made more difficult by the fact, not only because they placed their faith in Jesus Christ, but because they didn't have any money, which makes sense, right? We can, at some level, all of us can identify with that. A lack of money can create stress. It can can create a sense within us that we're lacking or that we're poor or that other people that have more money are better off than us. Well, James tells this group of lowly brothers to boast in their exaltation. This is a really rich phrase. It means to take pride in your high position. You see, what's going on here is that in Christ, though they're poor monetarily, they're rich they're actually rich. They're children of the Most High God. They are a part of God's family. Now, not only are they rich in this life of God's Spirit, they may not have a lot of stuff, of material wealth, but they're rich because they have God's Spirit within them. But they also are guaranteed, according to Scripture, an inheritance. And the New Testament talks often about this inheritance. And what we know about this inheritance is it's being held by Jesus for us. That there will be a day when we die and we'll receive this inheritance. Now what is this inheritance? Uh, it's a little cryptic exactly what's going on. It could be stuff, material things in the end. But an inheritance really ultimately is the fullness of salvation. Totally completely restored and in a perfect, right relationship with God Almighty. This is why they're rich. Because they can place their hope not in their stuff, but in the fact that, that in Christ they're rich. James is wanting them to know, hey, you may feel down and out, you may feel low, you may feel stressed financially, but did you know in Christ you have a reason to boast you can boast in your exaltation that you have a high status with God Almighty. James chapter 2, verse 5, a little later in the book, we'll see this when we get there, but for now, listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? In Luke's gospel, chapter 6, verse 20, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. 
Now, culturally, in this day, many people were poor. Most uh, history uh, scholars believe that 70% of those that were Jews lived below the breadline, which was just enough money to put food on the table. So it was very relevant to them to be stressed financially. But the Gospel of Luke again says, Blessed are those who are poor, for theirs is the kingdom of God. They are rich because they are in Christ. Now, I just want to make a few observations, a few, few comments about this issue of poverty, if you're feeling poor, uh, and, and whether or not you feel poor now, there will be a time in your life, I'm sure, where you experience a financial need. And just a few things that might help you in your thinking along those lines. It's important to understand that in the arena of poverty, when you enter into the arena of poverty, either temporarily or long term, your faith can be exposed, but it can also be strengthened. You see, the pressures of poverty will lead people to humble themselves, realizing that they have to depend upon God for survival. This is one reason that the Bible so frequently warns rich people about idolizing their wealth is because when you have a lot of money, and some of you do, you're, you're, God has you in a place where you have a lot of resources. When you have a lot of money, it can numb your sense of need for God. Did you know that poverty can expose your faith? Let me ask you a question. What do you do whenever you have a financial need and it feels like a crisis maybe? What do you do when that bill comes in the mail or that uh, something happens medically or, or maybe you have a child that has a need and that you're having to pay for it? What do you do? What's your immediate response? What's your first response? Is it panic? Or is it trust? Trust in God. It can expose our faith. You know, uh, I wore this shirt today. I had a couple of people tell me they liked it. I think smugly. And uh, this shirt is one of the reasons I wore it. Do you like it okay? <laughs> um, a little insecure exposed here myself. Um, this shirt means something to me. Um, probably a year or so before I, I made it public that God was leading me to plant a church, I uh, was really wrestling with it, really wrestling. And one reason I was wrestling with it is because my faith in God being able to provide for the financial financial part of, of it was really lacking. I, I really, looking back, I had very little faith that God could actually do what he said he was going to do. Part of that's because my career to that point had been in places where there was quite a bit of prosperity and I never worried about, I started at college with a great job and made decent money and worked at a large church and, and so I got to this place where God was calling me out and it took some time because I was wondering whether or not God would provide. And so uh, I, I found myself at one of my favorite lunch spots is in the Heights. It's a place called Carter and Cooley on 19th Street. Anybody ever been there? Carter and Cooley? They have an incredible, thank you, Jared, Buffalo. You had that? Jalapeno spread? Good. I'm getting hungry, so that's what I'm talking about. And um, so I was there. I was sitting there by myself. And this is in the Heights, mind you. And while I'm eating, I see somebody drive by that I know. And so I, I call this person. She's in. Uh, older lady that attended the church that I worked at before, or attends the church that I worked at before, and I called her and I said, hey, what's, what's going on? I said, are you, in the, are you in the Heights? She said, yeah, I'm in the Heights. I said, what are you doing? She's like, I'm picking up a jacket from Harold's in the Heights. 
And uh, I say, well, okay, cool. And uh, she's like, are you eating? So she said, well, come over here. So I go over there. And mind you, I was eating lunch. had gotten away. kind of just to wrestle with God a little bit about whether or not he was going to provide financially. And, um, and uh, feeling like, oh, God, I don't know, the economy stuff. I've had people tell me, Russell, do you know how hard it's going to be to plant a church in this economy? All this kind of stuff, these voices in my head. And uh, so I go there, and, and I walk in to Harold's and the Heights. I've never been in there before. Well, it's a fairly, uh, it's a really nice, clo- nice clothing place, and the stuff there is very expensive. And um, for, for my standards, I mean, it wasn't Target, basically what I'm saying. And, um, and, and so she says, uh, well, pick out a shirt. Oh, really? And she's been very generous to Jeannie and I before, and so I said, okay. So I go pick out a shirt. No, get two. Okay, so she starts getting me shirts. I go try them on. I'm back there, and I find one that I like. And I say, and I look at the price tag, $220. This shirt costs $220. Step off, you know what I mean? And, and, and so I'm in the dressing room, and of course, immediately I think, I cannot do this. I just feel terrible about this. I'm not going to let her spend $220 on a shirt. And, and it personally, I was very conflicted about it. And y'all, y'all like this shirt a little more now, don't you? And, um, and, and, she, and, and I come out, and I say, ah, you know, I, I, she said, no, get that one. I really like that. Oh, and I realized it was going to be an offense to her if I didn't take her up on it. So I, I, I negotiate down to one shirt, and I get it. And, and, and of course, I'm very, uh, you know, um, I, I keep this in a safe, actually. Um, I'm very, very, very appreciative of it. And I'm walking out, and it's like, God, spirit just whispers in my mind, you don't I own everything. Don't, don't think for a minute I can't give you whatever you want, whatever I want you to have, whenever you need it at a moment's notice. You came all the way out here to stress about how you're going to provide for your family, how you're going to figure this thing out financially. i got to figure it out. This is one thing you must realize. For me, what felt like what was going to be poverty exposed my faith. and It was on the surface, and God said, I'm going to, do, I'm going to show you something. I'm going to show you how reliable and trustworthy I am. God Almighty. It's interesting how poverty, our sense of poverty can do that to us. Uh, just another thing to think about is we should not equate degree of God's blessing only by how we are doing financially. Now, here's a question for you. If that had not happened to me and the shirt had not been purchased for me, would it have changed the fact that God is good and God is right? No. We, we have um, in our mindset, and I don't know, it just, it's been my experience, we are really quickly to see when another preacher preaches what we call a prosperity gospel, in other words, that God wants everybody to help be healthy and wealthy, we look at that and immediately go, no, no, no. But even in our more conservative kinds of churches, we, we, are, we lean towards believing that whenever we're doing good financially, God loves us. When we're not doing good financially, God is mad at us. We cannot equate God's blessing only by those, or only by how we're doing financially. It may be that you're poor because God wants you to be poor. Why in the world do you say would He want us to be poor? Well, maybe for some of you, He knows what money will do to you. It'll distract you. Maybe He wants you to be poor. Some of you may struggle financially your whole life. I said, aren't you glad you came? That's really encouraging. <laughs> if you're mad at somebody, have not listen to this message, all right? Um, or or maybe, maybe he has some people he wants you to minister to, and they're at a certain pay grade, and you would not see them if you were at a different pay grade. 
Maybe he's called you to a place that's going to require you to struggle financially to live there and to minister there. Maybe, maybe you're poor because you've made dumb financial decisions. And God, God is allowing you to come sleep in the bed you've made, so to speak. He's allowing you to experience the results of, of not, not uh, stewarding your money, money well. But maybe you're poor because you're not working hard. The Bible is, is filled with instances that, that lead us to understand that to earn money, we have to work hard, really hard. And you very few people, if ever, will be in a job where they're just deeply satisfied by that job. That's part of the curse. This is one thing that's out there today related to work. is like, go find a job that will give you the ultimate satisfaction and ultimate joy. And the reality is that job doesn't exist. Part of your, the, the result of the curse from the fall is that the work that we do is going to be hard and it's going to lack fulfillment. I mean, I love my job. I love being a pastor. But there are some things I don't like about it. We, we cannot equate the degree of God's blessing only by how we're doing financially. Sometimes uh, God gets us in a financial state because he's called us to minister there. I, I alluded to that already, but I'm reminded of, and I asked Jeannie if I could share this. Jeannie, Jeannie and I were married in um, uh, 1900s. Um, 1999. And, um, and uh, August 21st, 1999, we're coming up on our 12-year anniversary. And uh, Jeannie, the last few years, just when I knew her before we got married, uh, her, her parents struggled financially. Her dad was in business for himself as an architect. They didn't have a lot of money. And Jeannie will tell you, she did not know they did not have a lot of money, but then looking back, we both go, wow, they were really, uh, really struggling financially. So she didn't know how to spend money. She didn't have any money to spend and uh, she, she understood what it means to be, to have contentment in her family without having a lot of stuff. And, um, and I, I believe that God gave her that experience because he knew that she was going to someday be a part of a ministry. We're going to plant a church and we're going to have to be tied financially early on. Jeannie is not someone, I mean, this is a, just an affirmation of her. Uh, she's not someone that even understands what it means to, to, to gain satisfaction and joy from her stuff because in her formative years, she didn't have a lot of it. See, God gave her that poverty, so to speak, because he was readying her for the ministry that, that she was going to be a part of. And, and of course, um, with respect to how it was, that we're very blessed now, so she by no means is poor. We live it up, don't we, baby? Yeah. Uh, third thing. Uh, our, this is maybe the most important, okay? Of everything I say today, this may be the most important. Our attitude and the way we talk about what's going on in our financial lives says something to others about our faith and whether or not we believe Jesus is sufficient. I'm going to say that again. Our attitude and the way we talk about what's going on in our financial lives says something to people about our faith and whether or not we think Jesus is enough. One reason we get stressed financially is because we've allowed stuff to give us an experience of worship that, that will not satisfy. Instead, what we must understand is that Jesus is sufficient. 
Jesus, in a relationship with Christ, will give you the kind of joy that you need so that no matter what financial state you are in, you're satisfied and you experience deep joy. And you can, as he says in the first two verses of James, count it all joy. Jesus is enough. If you find yourself stressed financially, maybe what God wants to whisper into your heart is, do you believe Jesus is enough? Or do you think that getting more stuff or getting more stability is going to somehow satisfy that part of you where only Jesus can give you what you need? Being poor isn't always a terrible thing. But let's talk for a minute to the rich people. Now, speaking of rich people, I'm to have you stand, but it would mean that all of you would be standing. You know why? Because compared to most people, all of you are rich. 80% of the world lives on $10 a day. So if you make a little more than that, or your parents give you allowances a little bit more than that, then you are more wealthy than 80% of the world. So compared to the world, you are rich. So what about the rich person here? So the poor person is to boast in his exaltation, and the rich person is to boast in his humiliation. Now what we must not do is we must not uh, ignore or make up things about what the Bible says about rich people. It, God is not against people being rich. Abraham was rich. rich. Joe's Joseph. Abraham was rich, Job was rich, David was rich. But what the Bible is against is Christians allowing riches to make them proud or elitist or pretentious. Or for people to claim to worship Christ, but in functionally worship money or stuff. This is what the Bible is against. So James here is not condemning the rich. He's actually just reporting on what's going to happen to the rich. He reports on their faith because their faith is just like everybody else's faith. Now, before I comment on exactly what their faith is, I want you to know that later in the book, he does uh, chastise the rich who are ungodly. James chapter 5, verse 1 is what it says. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. You have laid up treasure in the last days. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. So there is a group of people that uh, are rich people that are ungodly. And their idol is their money. And James deals with those a little later. But here I, I really think what he's doing is just, it's just kind of, it's the great equalizer. In the end, everybody will die. It doesn't matter what you have or what you don't have. And ultimately, what you have and what you don't have has no bearing on your eternity. What has a bearing is whether or not you're rich in Christ. He tells the poor to, uh, 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 I'm sorry, the rich to boast in their humiliation. It doesn't mean like to boast in, in other people making fun of them for being rich. No, it, it, to boast in their humiliation, it, it's a reminder of their mortality and how limited they are, no matter how much money they have. It literally means the word humiliation literally means low status. Hey, rich guy, boast in your low status because no matter what you think, your money doesn't make you high status in God's economy. It, it provides some perspective for these people, for these poor people who might be feeling somehow less blessed by God or less valued in God's redemptive purpose in the world because they don't have as much. And what he's saying is, hey, hey, poor guy, boast in your exaltation. Rich guy, you're going to die. 
he, he actually uses a quotation here that comes out of Isaiah chapter 40. Uh, James says, Because like a flower of the grass, it will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. The passage that he's quoting from Isaiah says this, Isaiah chapter 40, verse 6. A voice says, cry, and I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is like grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God will stand forever. Each, each passage, James, the way he wrote it, and as he references or recalls what Isaiah has written, it's to remind people that the only thing that will last, the only thing that endures, is the word of God Almighty. Not riches. Just like a flower comes to life, appears with beauty, and then is blown away by the wind. And the beauty of that flower fades. So each person live and die. And heard it said, as goes the flower, so goes the rich man, or any man for that matter. What James is doing is he's relentlessly connecting the fate of the flower to the fate of the rich person, or any person. Both can be flourishing one day and gone the next. The, uh, the end time judgment of God will cause the rich whose God is money to perish. And any person whose hope is in money will die in the midst of that pursuit, will never experiencing what they need, which is the peace of life with Jesus Christ. This is what James is saying. This is why they ought to boast in their humiliation, their low status. But just a few things, comments regarding this issue of rich people. Rich people die too. That's my first one. Money cannot give you life. You know that, right? Sometimes it's just good to be reminded of that. Money cannot give you life. It doesn't mean that it's wrong to have it. Luke chapter 12, verse 15, he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. In other words, thirsting for other things, stuff. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Another idea. If you trust in riches, your downfall is on the horizon. So, with all of this, what we ought to do practically is think about, okay, how do we, how do we, have a, how do we think about money? Because all of us need it. You needed it to get here put gas in your car or even have a car. You need it to eat. So how do we keep this in balance? It's, it's, not, it's not a right response to just say, therefore, anything related to money is irrelevant. No, that, that would be ridiculous. It's very relevant. All of us are impacted by money, right? But what we must process and think about practically is how do we keep, how do we keep it balanced? How do we keep from idolizing money? I don't know about you, but I go through seasons where I feel more focused on money and stuff than others. Is that, is that your experience too? There are times where it's just really easy to trust God or place my faith in God. And other times where I'm like, God, hello, hello, four children, you know. 
But so how do we how do we keep this in balance? Well, just just a few things as I draw this to a close. First of all, it all begins with believing in Jesus as Lord, believing that Jesus can satisfy our deepest needs. If you're not thoroughly convinced that Jesus can satisfy your deepest needs, you will try to have those needs satisfied in some other area, be it money or relationship. Oftentimes, these things will lead to sin. But what we must believe is that Jesus Christ, a relationship with Jesus, satisfies our deepest needs. We have to work that out. It's not like, okay, here's my relationship with Jesus, and here's my relationship with money, here's my relationship with my spouse, here's my relationship with my boyfriend or my girlfriend, here's my relationship with my parents. No, no, no. It's like Jesus is at the center of all of that. And from that comes relationship with money and relationship with your spouse and relationship with, with your job and whatever else is in your life. Jesus can satisfy. Colossians chapter 1, I read the passages earlier that I encourage you about. He is the image of the invisible God. He is the real deal. God in the flesh. He can satisfy. Um, additionally, it, it helps to keep things in balance. We remember Psalm chapter 40 verse 1. The earth is the Lord and all that's in it. God owns it all. But even though you may feel like you're accumulating things, it's not yours. It's not. You have to hold it with a very open hand. And sometimes God dumps a big chunk of it in your hand, and sometimes he, he feels like there's nothing in your hands. God owns it all. You must keep that perspective. So whatever financial state you're in, you must trust, okay, God, this is, must be where you want me to this must be where you want me to be. I'm going to trust you and place my faith in you. Now, even more practically. One way we keep it all in balance is we're good stewards of it. Whatever God has provided you by way of your work, you must steward it well. If you're terrible at stewarding the money that God has provided for you, more often than not, you will struggle financially. And just because you are good at stewarding it doesn't mean you're always going to be prosperous. But we must make plans with our money. You must practically live on a budget. This is how much I make. This is how much I can spend. You must plan with your money. And whatever financial state he has you in, you must understand that he has you there so you can minister to a group of people that you're able to connect with in that pay grade. And sometimes you can minister to people that make more than you and make less than you. Don't, don't get me wrong. But if you make a lot of money and you do really well financially, you know what? Part of that, I'm convinced, is because God wants you to connect and relate to a group of people that, that are in a different financial place. Use it for His glory. But as we think about stewarding what God has given us, well, there's one, there's any one thing that just makes sense to tell you. I'm not a financial planner. I'd be happy to sit down with you and coach you and putting together a budget. We have others uh, in our group that are uh, much more intelligent in that area. I can help you if you're struggling financially, if you're upside down in a big way and you want help. We have resources that we can help you, okay, uh, in terms of teaching you. But, but if there's any one thing I want to say to you, it's this regarding your finances. 
be generous. One way we measure success and whether or not we're successfully accomplishing the mission and lives of the people that God's bringing to New Town Church is are they generous? Be a generous person. Don't be stingy with what you have. You cannot, I've heard it said, and I believe it, you cannot outgive God. Be generous with your stuff. If you're one of those that is really hesitant to, to help others or to give faithfully to God Almighty in the context of worship, to see the, the ministries of the church, then something's, something's wrong. It goes beyond money. Something's wrong on your inside. Probably whether or not you think Jesus is enough. But be generous. Find ways to be a blessing for people. I think, God, we already have many people that are part of this church that are very generous and understand that a, a proper response to what God has done for us by sending Jesus to die on the cross and give us new life. And related to money is to give back the first fruits of whatever you earn in the context of worship. I'm thankful for that. We have many generous people. But as you sit down and you look at your budget and you think about how much am I going to spend on this and that, just think to yourself, is this a generous lifestyle? Am I, am I able to be generous? One thing you and I did, uh, I think God blessed this um, back when we first started doing budgets is we would literally put a line item in our budget which is like giveaway money. You know, very a lot. We don't have that anymore, so don't come asking. Um, uh, we would just like get, you know, give away, be generous money. And we just found opportunities all the time. You know. Um, do you believe that? Money can't make you rich? I hope so. 